Good evening, church. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My name is Colin, the pulpit minister here at Central Church of Christ. And this is Dan Spade. He's one of our elders. And here at Central Church of Christ, it's our mission to be God's heart and hands in this community and beyond. If you'd like to learn more about what that means, I want to encourage you to head over to our website at www.churchvictoria.com. This is our Wednesday evening conversation through the law and the prophets where we open up the Old Testament. We move through the narrative and the text and we see how it impacts us today as the church and how it how that text connects to Jesus. Um, if you're listening Listening to this on the Heart and Heads podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to the channel and you have the bell turned on so you get notified every time we upload a video. And if you're watching this on Facebook, make sure to like and share. That really helps us out. And make sure to comment down below. Um, if this ministry has blessed you or you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, I want, I want to encourage you to head over to that website. At the top of the page, we have a donate button that uh, take, will take you to PayPal, and you can partner with us as we seek to teach and preach the gospel. Uh, we're going to pray and get into the lesson. Again, church, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to study again. We pray that you bless us as we do this. We pray, Father, as we listen to what you have to say, that we'll, that we'll take it to heart, that we'll allow you to touch us with, with the truth, Father. Bless our audience. Bless them as they listen. Bless them as they study. And help them, Father, to come to a realization of, of you and, and your truth and apply it in their own life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're at this uh, kind of pivotal moment i mean the last time it was i would say that we're talking about this bad where god is looking at moses saying i'm going to destroy the israelites i'm done with them and mm -hmm. i'll make you into a great nation you know the last time this happened was the golden calf mm -hmm. so this is another major i mean this isn't just a, some minor squabble between parties right mm -hmm. this isn't miriam and aaron you know uh you know jockeying for a greater position this is absolute wickedness and rebellion and the, the people completely and totally rebelling against god rejecting his purpose for them um we noted a couple of really uh places last time that we kind of wanted to camp out <clears throat> uh you know we looked at moses's well um, the, the they're confusing you know there's the, a couple of one of them is confusing because it says one thing and then then right on the text it, it says something exactly the opposite right so moses's appeal to god he appeals to his character right now may the lord strengthen verse 17 chapter 14 mm -hmm. it says you know now this is moses appealing to, to god now may the lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared the lowest lord is slow to anger abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished he punishes the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation and this is a this is a good in our view 21st century this is a good statement and a bad statement you know, we like this slow to anger, abounding in love, all this first part, but then we we chaff at this second part where he says he punishes the children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth child. We don't like that, right? He said it multiple times. This seems to be a strange place to bringing it up. Like in the 21st century, when we read that statement in verse 18, right, we put a lot of weight on the back half, mm -hmm. right? We look at that and he punishes the children up to third and fourth generation and we go, <gasps> What an unjust jerk, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we get we get all offended. But let's remember the context here. He just said, you know, the Israelites are deserving punishment here. Not the children, but these people who are rebelling against God, right? 
And so this seems a strange, if you're gonna emphasize the back half of this statement, if you're gonna say that's the more important part of this statement, this is a very strange thing for Moses to bring up. <laughs> Why would Moses bring this up? If God is going to punish the guilty, well, these people are certainly guilty. Mm -hmm. But Moses brings this up and says, hey, this is who you are. Remember who you are. And then what does he say? In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of the people. So what has the greater weight? If you're, if you're going to bring this argument up to God, this is who you said you are. This is who you said as identity-wise. Why does Moses emphasize the second, the first rather than the second? Whereas we read the statement and emphasize the second rather than the first. And then notice how God responds. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them. So which, which part of his character plays the more important role here? His love and his forgiveness or his justice? I would say based on the text that God is more interested in forgiving people than punishing people. Mm -hmm. This should be a no-brainer. When Adam and Eve did what they did, did God kill them? He no. said, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. Why didn't he kill them? And then people, theologians and philosophers want to come in and make this really complicated. Oh, well, they did die. They died a spiritual death. No, they, that's not what he meant. Mm -hmm. He said, you're going to die the day you eat of this. Mm -hmm. He didn't say you're going to die 100,000 years from now. He said, right now, you're going to die. And he didn't. they didn't. Why? Well, where did he get these skins from? God provided skins for them to clothe their nakedness. Was this the beginning of sacrifice? I don't know. And I, and I definitely don't want to say... That's what this is. A lot of people will come in and say, that's what that is. He's sacrificed. It seems likely because then we see Cain and Abel offering. So it's not, I don't think it's a huge <laughs> leap in logic, but what can we absolutely know? We can absolutely know that God is more interested in saving his creation than condemning it. Mm -hmm. Because if God, if God was more interested in condemning his creation, he wouldn't have done it in the first place. He would have looked at Adam and Eve and said, well, Scrub that one. We'll go on to 2.0. All right. We got humans 1.0. They didn't work out. On to 2.0. You know, wipe this away and we'll just start over. But that's not what he does. What do we see over and over and over God do in the face of sinful humanity? Give us another chance. Mm -hmm. As long as there's an intercessor. As long as there, I mean, that seems to be the case. As long as there's someone there to come in and say, no, God, don't do it. Right? Well, but he always provided the intercessor. He that, provided, I, in, the, in Adam and Eve's, the intercessor was the animals that died and the skins that were covered and the blood that was shed. Well, he interceded. But he did. And he used yeah. those. Well, he interceded. He, he provided an intercession at, for the, us again with Jesus. He provided Jesus, put him on a cross, butchered him, bled him, you know, and used the blood to wash his clean. Well, what, and it's so funny because we see this with Jesus. Jesus himself says, what is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like this. A man comes out and sees a tree and it has no fruit. And he goes, I've been waiting for this thing to produce fruit all this time. I'm done. Rip it up, tear it up, chop it up, throw it in the fire. I'm done with it. And the gardener comes along, who in this is, this is Jesus, comes along and says, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Let me, let me put some fertilizer down and mm -hmm. let me work with it. Let me see. And give it a few years and mm -hmm. let's see what happens, right? So God always provides an intercessor. Why? Because he is more interested in saving than destroying. Mm -hmm. It's easy for God to destroy. Jesus said at the cross, what he, or not at the cross, he said in the garden, what? I could call 12 legions of angels. Yeah, and something else, too, you know, when you talk about him punishing to the third and fourth generations, that's not literally third and fourth generations, really, but, but there is punishment. You know, there, there's, you know the, some of the things that my parents did, I suffered through that. My kids suffered through that. Didn't mean we were held accountable for it. 
But we were punished because of, not because God punished us, but he used what they did, what my dad did, what my mom did, what other people did. You know, some of the things that, that I saw, some of the things that I witnessed, you know, I mean, there was, there was, a, there was difficult times. And my kids still are dealing with some of that because of what it made me into and what I did. And then I had to get past and all that stuff. So there is a punishment involved. I think there is a punishment involved. And I think we in the 21st century look at this in the same way that the Israelites who went into exile did. Mm -hmm. Both Ezekiel and Jeremiah, who were prophets during the exile. So so they're going to go get the land. They're going to make the kingdom, right? They're going to let God's going to give them this land. Eventually, it's going to become a kingdom. Eventually, those kings are going to fall apart. The country is going to split into a northern and southern kingdom. And then eventually, God is going to come in and deport the northern and then the southern kingdom. That's that's basically the story in a nutshell. That's the story in a nutshell. So during that time of exile, when the people are back in Babylon, um, God sends them prophets. And Jeremiah is one of the prophets in the land, and Ezekiel is a prophet in exile. And they both deal with a similar complaint from the people, which is the parents eat sour grapes. This is the proverb. The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, it's this idea that it's the parents who send. Mm -hmm. Right. The parents did the wrongdoing and now our teeth is set on. We have to pay the consequences. We have to, we have, for it. To, we have to suffer through the nonsense of it. Well, the, some of the they don't mean it. They don't mean it. The nonsense of it. Like what, <laughs> what you're talking about, I think, is is a natural repercussion. Right. If my my dad is wicked and evil and nasty, then there are going to be some natural consequences to that. Right. And so that's not what they meant. What they meant was we were perfect. Our fathers weren't, and now we're being punished for our fathers. And and God gets really upset at this because it's not true. Because that's not what he meant. Well, and that's what I think in the 21st century, we take this statement and that's what we pretend it means. We pretend it means that I'm going to pay for the wrongdoing of somebody else. For example, somebody in in Houston steals in a steals a, from a bodega, and then I'm the one who's going to be charged for it. I had nothing to do. There's no relation here. And we read that statement, and that's how we think about it. The Israelites who went into exile, that's how they thought about it. My dad did wickedness. I was perfect, and now I'm suffering. I'm, <laughs> I am be- paying for his wickedness. I, it's something that was completely unrelated to me. They weren't talking about natural consequences. And I don't think God is talking about natural consequences here either. Okay, I think there are natural consequences. This is hyperbole. God uses hyperbole. We see God use hyperbole all over the Bible. And a perfect example of this is Jesus. Do you have faith the size of a mustard seed? Mm. Yeah. Do you have faith the size of mustard seed? Have you ever t- told the mountain to uproot itself and go plant itself in the sea? Have you ever looked at the bush and said, uproot yourself and go plant yourself? What is the point of this? Do you have sin in your life? I know I do. Mm-hmm. I notice you have both arm, both hands and both eyes. Mm-hmm. What, what? Jesus isn't serious when he says, cut off your right hand and put out your right eye? Using it as an example. He's using it. It's it's called hyperbole, Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to make us understand something. It's not supposed to make us understand that, oh, I sinned with my right hand, let me cut it off. If that was the case, none of us would have hands, none of us would have eyes, and none of us would have feet. This is that's not the point. The point is this we need to go to radical lengths to get rid of sin. We need to go to radical lengths to resist it. That's the whole point of that statement. The whole point of Jesus' statement when he's talking about having faith the size of a mustard seed is not that if I had faith the size of a mustard seed, I can tell the mountain to uproot. That's not the point. The point is, with faith the size of a mustard seed, God can do amazing things. God can do things that are that other people would consider to be impossible. Yeah. 
that's the point. It's hyperbole. They used it then. They'll use it later in the New Testament. The writers used hyperbole. This is hyperbole. It's a, it's a huge statement to make us wake up and realize a central truth about God. And in the 21st century, we read this truth about God and we put way too much emphasis and a literal interpretation on part of his personality that's not true. Mm -hmm. And I know that and I can say that because God does, if this is a literal statement, God is a liar. Yeah. Because he does not do this. Just write down the text. Just write down in the text. Look, come down, scroll down, and let's look at verse 31. As for your children, God says, that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. Well, now, hold on, God. That's not consistent with your character but, that I've yeah, decided finished. to look at what, what else is it? But look at the next verse. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lie in the wilderness. But, yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's a part about suffering mm -hmm. for what the parents did. And it's about, it's about uh, God's forgiveness and yep. love and mercy uh, in spite of what they did. You know, we deal, we deal with the stuff that goes on in our lives because of what happened, because of what was done, and God deals with us in spite of it. I, I do not think the point of his statement, right, in his character, saying, I will punish the sins of the father. I do not think the point of his statement there is to include <coughs> natural consequences. I don't think that's what he's talking about there. However, it is still true that children are going to suffer natural consequences because of the sins of the father. That is still absolutely well, that's true. That's what he said. He said yeah. it right there. He yep. says it right there, yep. and I think that's absolutely true. I don't think that's God's doing, though. In the statement about God's character, he says, no, it's a, it's I a, will punish. It's the, the parents' sins. fault. The parents are the one that caused your Your kids are going to suffer for what you do. That's right. Absolutely. God's not going to cause the suffering. You're going to cause it yourself. It's my, it's my fault. It's your fault. It has nothing to do with God's punishment. God's whole, whole deal is about love and forgiveness. Now, his statement, I will punish the sins of the father, is a statement about justice. I am a God who is interested in justice. I want justice. I want to forgive you. Mm -hmm. I want to deal with you. I want to be patient with you. I want to do all these things. But don't take my desire to save you as license. Mm -hmm. Because I am going to eventually hold the guilty accountable. I will eventually, in other words, God is saying, I am slow to anger. I am all these things, but I am not impossible to anger. At some point, I am going to hold the guilty accountable. I'm going to do that. <clears throat> I'm not going to. I'm not going to continue to cover over sin forever. At some point, I'm done, and when I am done, justice will come. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, all the people who live in that land are about to find that out. Yeah, they're about to find that out. What did God tell Abraham? He looked at Abraham and he said, your, kid, your children are going to inherit this land, but not yet, because the sin of these people is not yet complete. In other words, what is God doing? He's being slow to anger. He's being patient with these people. He's hoping they turn around. He knows they won't, but he's going to give them the time. Yeah, he's going to give them the time. He's going to give them the opportunity to turn he's around. He's going to give them the opportunity. Why? And people, people struggle with this concept all the time, okay? But God is just. He's not going to punish you for something you have not done yet. God may know what you're going to do, but until you've done it, you haven't done it. Yeah. And so God's not going to punish you for something that you may have done. And oh, by the way, we find that story in the scriptures. We find a story in the scriptures where God says, this is the way it's going to happen. And then because David knows this is the way it's going to happen, he changes what he does. And because he changes what he does, 
everything changes. The elders don't turn him over to Saul. Saul never comes to the city. All sorts of things happen. So what happens when God gets involved? People think, people think, a lot of people think that everything is laid out, that it's done, that God knew it from the beginning of the world, that this is the way it was going to be, and it's set in stone. The Bible does not affirm that. The Bible doesn't affirm that. Now, again, we're fish in the bowl trying to figure out how it works outside the bowl. So we can only take what the Bible tells us because the Bible is the only key we have to how things work outside the bowl. And so we have to accept that God knows the things that are going to occur. And yet those things are not set in stone. They can change and they do change. I mean, why did Jesus tell us about, I mean, just think about it for a second. Why did Jesus bother to tell us about the various hearts that are soiled that receive the word? Why did Jesus tell us that? Because it's impossible to change mm. or as a warning to those to it's say, make sure, make sure you're the good soil. Yeah. You have a choice in this. He looks at Cain before the door and he says, sin is crouching at the door, man. It desires to have rule and mastery over you. You must master it. He looks at Cain and says, you've got a choice. Cain says, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to pick up this rock and beat him to death anyway, man. Okay. But that's your choice. Yeah right? So God is patient. He wants to save us. That's where the emphasis of this statement is. That's how Moses uses it. And if Moses is a friend of God who mm -hmm. stands before God and knows God and knows him, I think we should take Moses's testimony here. God doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to save us. He's working towards right. that end, right. but that is not a license to sin. And I think that's a, a really important concept to get. Um, Let's move on. Yes. Okay. So what we beat that up enough, huh? We beat that up enough. Okay. Fair enough. So the Lord replied, I have forgiven them. This is going back to verse 20. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole, whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times. Stop. They have not tested him 10 times. So um, <coughs> if you actually go through and count, depending on how you wanted to look at it, if you're looking for the people, which I think is what's being emphasized here. Up until this point, this would be the eighth time. Now we're going to have two more in Numbers, right? So we're going to have another two rebellions in Numbers where, where the people rebel. The, you're going to have the Korite rebellion, and then you're going to have the people again rebel about water, which means they've rebelled about water like three times. But the point is, if you want to count Miriam and Aaron and their, or Miriam and Aaron and their rebellion as part of it, then they rebel nine times up until this point. And then the Kohite, uh, and then by the time it's all said and done, they'll have rebelled 11 times. So what's my point in all this? Okay. Why do I bring this up? Because this is this, all of these books, the law is a literary unit. It's meant to work together. Okay. It's meant to be a reflection on the entire process of them going from the patriarchal wandering to where they inherit the land. And this is going to really come home in Deuteronomy. In a way, I'm prepping us for Deuteronomy. Because in Deuteronomy, like Ecclesiastes, has two voices. Mm -hmm. It has the narrator in Deuteronomy, the narrator, and Moses. Like Ecclesiastes has the narrator and the critic. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Deuteronomy has the two voices too. The narrator who is in the land. They're already in the land. Looking back at Moses getting the people ready, this next generation that God has said will inherit it, getting them ready by retelling the law. Okay. So that's the story in Deuteronomy. So what do we, what do we understand? When was this work completed? 
This work was completed after Moses died when they were already in the land. And that should not be a shock. And this is there. We can see this as a plain reading of the text. This is not complicated. This, we just have to look at these things that are said and see how they link together. Okay. So what does that mean? Who wrote the law? Well, started with Moses and it likely ended with Joshua. And by the way, that's what the book tells us. Who's writing things down? Who have we read about who's writing things down in this story? Moses and Joshua, constantly. It's in a big deal, but people get all a Twitter, Twitter over these things. I'm not really sure why. Just read what it says. But we'll get there in Deuteronomy. So I wanted to point this out. This is another design pattern, and we see that the entire law, this isn't... We, we want to look at this stuff like it's a history book, right? And we want to look at it chronologically. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And that's great. That's how we think in the 21st century. But it's not how they thought. That's not how this is laid out. And, and we're going to have a problem here. God's going to say to these people, right now, he's going to say, you're going to wander in this desert for 40 years. Okay, that's fine. Can you pick out the 40 years? It's going to be really confusing because he's going to say 40 years, something's going to happen, and then 40 years is going to be done. What happened in the 40 years? Where'd it go? It's not really all that chronological, and it's okay. It doesn't have to be. It's us in the 21st century who demands that this text be something that it isn't. This is not necessarily chronological. We see it right here where God says, you've tested me 10 times, and technically up until this point, you're looking at eight. I think part part of the problem we're getting into is we're making it way too complicated. We need to we need to get more in. What is it? What is the average guy when he looks at this text? What does he need to see? God loves him. The and God will forgive him. The reason I go into these things mm -hmm. is because all too often what I hear is this from people. Okay, and especially today's day where I can pull up YouTube and, and look at all of this mm -hmm. stuff, right? My preacher never told me X, Y, Z. My preacher never told me this. Mm -hmm. They made it sound like it was like this. And then they go to university or they watch some dude on YouTube, some knucklehead on YouTube, and they throw out all these things. Oh, well, yeah, well, you see right here. Well, Moses obviously didn't write it because look at Deuteronomy. There's two voices. No, oh, Moses couldn't have written it, right? Because what do we do? We run around and say, well, Moses wrote it. Why? Because Jesus says Moses gave him the law. He did give him the law. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that he was the sole author of this book. <coughs> and so when we start asserting things that come from tradition rather than the word of God, we get into trouble. Mm -hmm. And then what, what happens? We find people who go, who throw their hands up and they're like, oh, well, they're just a bunch of liars. So I want to deal with these things, just like we dealt with Jethro, with the, the name and the confusion about Jethro. Mm -hmm. I want to deal with the Bible as it actually is, not what we want it to be. And when we deal with the Bible as it actually is, we learn a lot of things. And there are, you know, I've seen videos of Muslim apologists tearing Christians apart because they don't understand the nature of the book. The Christian will come along and say, well, there is no error in this book. Really? There's over 240,000 copyist errors, which are totally fine. That's not a big deal. Those are just simple errors that occur because a copyist, because all of this stuff was copied from person to person to person. That's how it was transmitted. These people will copy things down and they'll make a mistake. And we can detect between the manuscripts over 240,000 of these errors. That shouldn't be a problem. We should be okay with that. Christ still died. Christ still rose. And that testimony is still true. 
That doesn't invalidate anything, but we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about these difficulties in the texts. And I, I'm not okay with that because then what happens is we get a bunch of people who come back through and they'll, they'll start reading through it more carefully or they'll have a poor guide. They'll have somebody who's hostile to Christianity guide them through this and then before you know it, they've lost their faith. And their faith is a shipwreck. And oh, the preacher lied to me or the, the elder lied to me or my pastor lied to me. We need to acknowledge that these difficulties are here and deal with them. And so that means sometimes we have episodes like this where it's dealing with the, the difficulty. It is difficult. <laughs> it is and difficult. And I promise you, there's some people out there that are confused. That's okay. You know, you know, I'm looking at it, I'm, and I want to look at Caleb. You know, I mean, I'm simple. I want to look at Caleb in, in a different spirit. I'm sure. And why has he got a different spirit? Because he serves God with all his heart. And that's awesome. You know, and that's, and that's, uh, that's the, you know, the, there are two, there are two different, not opinions, there's two different styles here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's two different, uh, I'm looking at it more from an elementary perspective, you know, and you're looking at it more from a college perspective. Well, and so, and and I understand why you say that, and I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Okay. Okay. It doesn't take a college degree to start reading through these things, and it doesn't take a college perspective to start reading through these things, and to go back through and say, well, he said 10 times. I'm going to count how many times they actually rebelled. It's pretty easy. It says the people grumbled against the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's really, it's right there in the text. And it doesn't take long for you to figure out it hasn't been 10 times yet. So then you've got to ask, well, well, wait a minute. He says 10 times, but it's not 10 times yet. How does that work? It doesn't take long to realize that Deuteronomy has two different perspectives in it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take long to, to, before you get to the perspective where you go, well, wait a minute. This person is, the person who is writing this letter is on the other side of the river. And Moses died on this side of the river. And all these people are saying that Moses wrote all five of these books, but I understand how he could write Deuteronomy. That doesn't make sense mm -hmm. according to what the book says. I mean, it doesn't take long to get there. And these questions arise. Now, I agree with you that I want to talk about Caleb's faith, too. I want to talk about his difference. And that's more important. That's more important than all this stuff well, that we're talking and, about and now. You get, if, you, if you get to the point here at the end of this where he says, he said, no one over the age of 20 is going to, they're all going to die. I'm going to yeah. kill them all. And that's 603,000 people. We know how many it is because he right. tells us in chapter one, he tells us 603,500 people. They're going to die. Yeah. In the next 37 years, they're going to die. Yeah. That's what they're going to do. And he's going to give this land to their children. And if you go to the book of Hebrews, you see exactly what the Hebrew writer tells them. So they died because they didn't believe. Yeah. They didn't believe. And because they didn't believe, they didn't obey. And I don't want us to ignore those <laughs> more important things, those lessons, <laughs> because of the way the Bible was designed. You know, it, it's a, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I was simple, man. You know, I didn't look at all that stuff that you looked at. I didn't look at it the way you looked at it. I, I looked at, you know, I want, I want something that's going to jump on me and, and grab me on the face. Yeah. That stuff didn't grab me. I, 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 I said, I'll worry about that later. Right now. I said, what am I going to do to make sure that I don't die and go to hell? What am I going to do? I'm going to look at Caleb, Caleb. You know, I, there's a guy in, in, the, in Ezra's day. Mm -hmm. Ezra was the priest that went back to the, when they, when uh, Cyrus, the, the Persian, let them go back mm -hmm. to the, to Jerusalem, to build the walls, build the temple. Uh, Ezra comes back. He's a, uh, he's a priest and his job is, is, uh, is taking care of their spirituality, basically in a nutshell. And he comes back and finds them married to a bunch of foreign women. He gets bent. He said, you got to get rid of them all. 
and there's a guy that shows up. And he's the only, this is the only time you ever see his name. His name is Shechaniah. You never see his name any other time. And this guy, and when I saw that, I said, wow. What, what chapter? In? It's in chapter 10 okay. of Ezra. But it, it, and he says, we're going to do what you tell us to do. I, it doesn't say he has any power, any clout. But this guy stands up and I said, I could be that guy. I could be that guy. I could be a guy like that, that has enough faith in God, enough faith in his leadership to say, I'll do it. I got it. I'll do it. We'll do it. Me and my house, we're going to do it. And all my friends are going to do it. We're going to do it. And and, it just, and like I said, he, he only shows up in, in verse in verse 1. I mean, verse 2. Then Shechaniah, son of Jael, of the of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful. And he said, we've been marrying these people. We've been doing the wrong thing. We're, we're going to stop. We're done. And I thought, you never hear his name any other time. Never see his name any other place. Just that one time. Who is he? Well, that could be me. That could be me. I could be that guy. And I tried to be that a guy like that. Stand up in my family and say, hey, hey we're going to do this. You know? But then, but then you have to live your life like Caleb, serving wholeheartedly so they believe in you. Absolutely. Because your family ain't going to believe nothing you say if they don't see you do it. That's very true. And these people... They, uh, they stood at the river and said, oh, my God, we're all dead. They're going to squish us like grasshoppers. You know, we got a chance. Yeah. And forgetting everything that God had done, forgetting the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, forgetting the water from the rock, forgetting the manna, the quail. They forgot everything, forgot it all. And and some bunch of knuckleheads come back and say, oh, no, we can't do this. No, no shaking eyes in that group. Well, there was they, one, Caleb and well, Joshua, two, two of them. There's two Shechem eyes. Well, and that, these were all leaders. Yeah, these, these were these yeah. weren't these weren't like chosen from the rabble, right? But, hey, we talked about the rabble. Then. We're all leaders too. Yeah, we lead somebody. You know, you either lead them at work, you lead them in your home. You know, if you're a man, man, woman, even if you're a kid, you can be a leader at school. You can be a leader in on the playground. Say, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, I'm not going to play like this. This is wrong. This is disrespectful to that person. I'm not going to kick on that person just because y'all are kicking on them. I want to stand there. And, I'm going to stand in the gap. God tells us we got to be people who stand in the gap. Be willing to do that. Now here, here these people are. They're standing at the river, and I'm looking. I'm going. Are you kidding me? What's wrong with you people? But then I look at my own life and say, Are you kidding me? What's wrong with you, man? Well, it's, yeah. that's and that's the whole point. The point mm -hmm. of this constant cycle of God providing and the people rebelling mm -hmm. is to point out that it doesn't matter how many times God how many times God I think that's tells I think us. that's the point. God says, I'm gonna punish you. Will we know that? How long? I don't care. I just don't want to be on the receiving end of it. So the best thing to do, don't be disobedient. Yeah. Believe him. The problem is what we find out and, and this the whole story of Israel, the whole reason Paul holds it up as a as a story mm -hmm. for the church to learn from is that even even the best <laughs> even the best who pursue who try to do what God says are going to fail. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. David's going to fail. Yeah. David a man after God's own yeah. heart. And that, that was always amazing to me. Yeah. He's a he's a murderer and adulterer. He's a womanizer. He's a lousy father, mm -hmm. and God says, "A man after my own heart." What? Well, what? But the the point of the story is, a man after God's own heart fails. His son Solomon is given the very wisdom of God, and fails. Yeah. Ezekiel picks all this up and says, "There's going to come a day where God's going to make a new covenant, uh -huh. 
and I'm going to cut out your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a new heart of flesh. I'm going to put a new spirit in you, and then I'm going to put my spirit in you. Yeah. Because it's the only way any of us are going to do any of this. Yep, you're right. That's the whole point. The whole story of chapter 14. Yeah. God wants to forgive. That's right. And he wants to have mercy. That's what he wants. And he's looking for a people like Caleb. Yeah. But the only way he's really going to get it at the end, the only way he's really going to get it wholeheartedly, all the time, because Caleb's wholehearted yeah. now, right? Mm-hmm. But we know he's going to fail. Yeah. So how do I get wholeheartedness all the time? God says, at the end of the day, I'm just going to have to be in you and do it myself. Yeah. He's going to have to do it. How crazy gonna, is he's that? Gonna, he's going to intercede in our, on our behalf. That's you nuts. know, I want us to look at chapter Hebrews chapter 3 next week. Sure. I want us to read that. And because at the end of chapter 3, it says, they says they, you know, and, and my thing always with that text was, if you say you believe and you don't obey, then you don't believe. That's right. That's what God says. That's I didn't right. say it. God said it. Yeah. If you say you believe and you don't obey, then you don't believe. God says it all over the Bible. We have, we have a world full of people going to church. Oh, I love Jesus. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because if you did, you'd be obedient. Yeah. You'd do what he said. Not what you wanted to say, but what it actually says. You do, you'd be living your life the way God says to live it instead yeah. of living it your own way. And the whole reason we take the time to address these issues that are thorny is so that we don't detract. We don't we don't look at that message that's hard to hear mm-hmm. and go, well, because of the issues that are thorny, that yeah. doesn't, you know. Yeah. The whole thing is I don't want things like this to destroy people's faith. Mm-hmm. You know, you have people running around saying this is what the Bible is. And it's just not true. I agree. It's just not true. We need to speak truth about the book. This is our <laughs> book. This is our father's book. Yeah. Right? He and worked you know to what give I'm, it to us. What I'm gonna we tell shouldn't you, be afraid of it. It's going to take you a lifetime. Oh, yeah. You're not going to get it overnight. It's going to take you a lifetime. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the power of the word. Thank you for the things that it tells us and the things that it doesn't. Thank you, Father, for the lessons we can learn from the people in, involved in it, from the people like Shechaniah and Caleb and Joshua, and even the folks that those folks that were disobedient. Father, help us to learn from them. Help us to learn that, that your requirement for us is to believe and obey. Always. Never changes. You want to forgive us. You want to save us. You want to have mercy on us. But you, we, you demand from us to believe and obey. Help us to do that, Father. And thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.